Well, who's ready for part four of Transformation Time? Good. I'm ready too. And uh, I've got my notes right here ready to go. All right. Transformation Time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word. We thank you, Lord, that it's powerful. We thank you, Lord, that uh, your DNA is in the Word of God. And Lord, that the Word of God is alive. The Word of God is not dead. It's not text. But Lord, it carries with it your anointing and your spirit. So we thank you, Lord, as your Word uh, and your teaching gets released, we thank you, Lord, that it would be powerful today to touch and to bless many lives in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, this is part four, and I've decided to wrap up the teaching series today, and so I'm going to give you as much as I possibly can. Is that all right? I'm going to pour out as much as I possibly can uh, from my heart today as we go through this. I wanted to start with um, this first scripture in Romans 12, 2, and it says here, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we've looked at this scripture the last three Sundays, but I want to start here today um, talking about that when we look at this, it's really about understanding the, the patterns here that God's saying, that there are two real ways that we can pattern our thinking. We can conform our thinking towards the pattern of the world, or we can conform our thinking to principles that we believe are based on the Bible that are fruitful for our lives. And so when it comes here, when we look at this uh, illustration of the brain in, in our hands, it's about understanding that we, when we partner with God and what we're learning in this teaching series, is we do have the ability to actually have a shaping impact on our thoughts. We do have the responsibility. So if you look at those hands, I want you to actually look at those hands, not so much as God's hands, but actually your hands. In fact, you could think of them as God's God's hands, but you could also think of them as your hands because it's really about you and God partnering together to shape your thinking because we know if your thinking is a certain way, it will dictate what happens in your life. And so it says here, do not be conformed to this world. Don't shape your thinking to the thinking of the world, but be transformed. So there's a benefit from you being committed to renewing your mind. You'll be transformed, which means that you'll see uh, effective long-lasting change. If we think of the example of transformation from the caterpillar to the butterfly, we know that there's long-lasting change, but we know that the change usually takes a journey of sometimes struggle and hard work, even a level of discomfort. And so we know as men and women of God that the commitment to transforming our mind may actually require us to be okay with some level of discomfort. But then it goes on and says that you may prove what the, the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, which means that the more that we commit to renewing our mind, not only will we receive transformation, but it explains that the transformation has a result attached to it, and that is we actually start to walk out more consistently the will of God, that the plans and purposes of God are connected to our commitment to our renewal of the mind to see transformation. And so there's multiple benefits here for us to be excited about. Let's have a look now at another thing that we are reiterating around renewing your mind. And we looked at these four principles. I want to just reiterate this again. This is really the blueprint of what to do to renew your mind. It's quite practical and simple, but yet it's hard work. To know the truth and believe it will set you free. So we need to know, well, what actually is the destination? What does the Bible say about certain things? What do the principles of God say about certain things? Because that's our true north. 
uh, we can't really go anywhere if we don't know what the ultimate destination is. Basic principle of wisdom there, same applies to renewing our mind. Know what the true north is. Know what the ultimate destination is in terms of your thinking, because that ultimately will set you free. But secondly, recognize where you're at. Recognize maybe what are the lies or the wrong stinking thinking that goes on in our headspace and see the strongholds. The strongholds represent thoughts that have become dominant in our mindset because we've been thinking them habitually for long periods of time. And this is the important thing. It talks here about not only do we need to identify true north, where we want to end up in our thinking, but we also need to discern where we're actually at. Everyone say at... Where are we at in terms of what is the stinking thinking that maybe is preventing us from getting to where we want to go? We have to identify or recognize the lies in our thinking or see the strongholds. We have to know what the true north is, and that's the first two steps. Because what that nicely does uh, is it helps to identify what? what's, what's in the middle between where I'm standing and where I was standing before, besides the pulpit. What's in the middle it's called space, or another word is a gap, right? <clears throat> and what's powerful is if we ever we want to move to a certain place, we have to identify the gap uh, in between where we are and where we want to go. And this is what uh, practically helps us to renew our mind. We have to identify what does the Bible say about certain themes of our life and what does our current thinking, believe, or attached to so we can recognize lies and strongholds so we can understand the gap between where we are and where ultimately God wants us to be. Everyone say gap. And then it says step three is that we have to, when we've identified whatever the lies or strongholds are, we have to do something with those things. We have to tear them down. What does that mean? We actually have to take the attachment that they currently have, the place in our thinking, and we have to pull them down. We have to pull them away. We have to actually deal with them. And then step four is we have to replace them with God's word. I, I, I prefer actually the word displace because uh, when you displace something, it means that for something new to come, the, the, the thing that's in its place has to be moved out first. And so what's powerful is, is if you want to actually restore your thinking and you're wanting to actually make sure that you're a person who's thinking victorious thoughts, you have to look at the things that are actually holding you back. Another way of saying is the limited beliefs, the beliefs that limit you, the beliefs that lock you into certain areas where you can't break out or break through because you believe those limitations. But the Bible would say that they are lies, they are strongholds that we need to tear down and then once they've torn away, then it leaves an area for something new to come in and we need to displace those things or replace those with actually what the Bible says is true about that particular area and that's how we help to make the transition. It doesn't happen as easily as that because who knows, it's a lot messier than that because it requires fighting and it requires pulling things off and putting things in, but this is what we've been talking about. Let's have a look at our first power thought. We've been doing power thoughts uh, for the last three Sundays and this is our main power thought for today. Everyone say power. A power thought. God is far more interested in changing my mind than my circumstances. My feelings don't shape my life. My beliefs do. It doesn't even have to be true. If I believe it, it's going to shape my life. So this is interesting because this power thought has a slightly different angle to it to the other power thoughts. The other power thoughts we focused on were purely, this is how we should think. 
And today I want to talk about this power thought because this is an example of a displacing thought. See, if you believe this thought, then you're starting to actually directly displace things. Because a lot of times we can get caught into the trap of thinking something very different to what's on the screen. Let's go there. What's something that we can believe or think that's different? And that is God is far more interested in changing my circumstances than actually changing my thinking. How often does our prayer life focus on God change this situation? God change that situation. God change this circumstance. God change that circumstance. God change this season. God change that season. God change this relationship. God change that situation. Who here knows what I'm talking about? How often does our prayer life focus on God change my thinking? God change my mindset. God change what I believe. God change what my focus is. Uh, I think a lot of times our prayer life, which is showing a desire of what fruit or effect we want when we relate to God. I mean, let's think about it. Our prayer life is our communication to God, isn't it? It's a reflection on our motivation for why we're interacting with God. And I think many times our prayer life can be so much dominated by us asking of the Lord, the Lord of the breakthrough, the Lord of the miracles, the Lord of of bringing blessing and favor to say, God, can you please change this situation? Can you please help me to break through in this area? But who knows that a lot of times God actually puts us in situations or takes us through circumstances because he wants the the inside of us, the character, maybe the thinking to be uh, positively influenced by sometimes the hardship that we're going through. And sometimes we may focus on, but God changed my situation. God changed the hardship. God, I want it to happen differently. But God's saying, oh, but you don't know, son or daughter, that actually it's the, the, the situation that's creating the condition where I'm wanting you to maybe change something on the inside of you that will be a catalyst to you being able to be a person of breakthrough, not just being a person who experiences breakthrough. Let me say that again, that your inside, your thinking, the, 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 the very thing that is the key for what manifests around your life is your thought life, that God would want to be more interested in fashioning that, in shaping that, in working with you to fine-tune that, to mold that, to get that to a place where there's going to be more consistency of a manifestation of future circumstances around you that you can start to walk in and experience victory because actually it's the mind, it's the thought life that dictates those things rather than just always wishing that the things of hardship keep changing but the inside of you never really ever changes, which is the key to breakthrough. It's like the caterpillar saying, oh, please get me out of this cocoon. Please get me out of this cocoon. And yet who knows what happens to a caterpillar inside the cocoon? Do you know it turns into mush? Do you know that there's actually a thing that goes on in the cocoon where because of the, the, the principle of creation, when that uh, particular caterpillar starts to cocoon itself, the condition of the cocoon causes the structure of the caterpillar to actually uh, to be changed and to be warped and to actually become liquefied. So there's an ability for change. It starts to go into a condition where the transformation or the change or formation is applicable. But yet if the caterpillar right in the middle of that process says, get me out of this cocoon, get me out of this cocoon, get me out of this cocoon too early, then 
imagine if some miracle by a hand would open and the cocoon would open. That's why they say to kids who are like, oh, let's open up this cocoon. No, don't do that because you'll actually kill the caterpillar because inside it's just mush. And if you don't get the timing right, it actually will just die and be like liquefied jelly rather than coming out. If it came out too early, it wouldn't be able to experience the transformation. How applicable is that to you in your life maybe right now? And so if our focus is so much on God change the circumstance, God change the conditions, and yet we're not focused enough on what God is doing actually through those circumstances. So God is, for, is far more interested in changing my mind than my circumstances. Can I hear everyone say, Amen. 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 My feelings don't shape my life. My beliefs do. It doesn't even have to be true. If I believe it, it's going to shape my life. All right, let's look at another scripture here, Philippians 4.8. This is the one that I haven't touched on this whole series. Uh, there's a couple here that I'm reiterating. I've been reiterating every week in different angles. This is the one that you've probably all heard of at some point, this particular scripture, but I haven't referred to it directly in this teaching series. And I have an image down the bottom there which shows uh, kind of toxic water going to clean water. And we're talking about here our thoughts, our thought life can determine the level of toxicity or acidity of our life. It can impact on the balance of our life, the atmosphere and the flavor of our life. Our thoughts are the key ingredients. Everyone say ingredients. Our thoughts, our thought life are the key ingredients to actually our circumstances and our atmosphere. What's interesting is we were just talking about how important it is with that power thought to know God's more interested in changing our thoughts than changing our circumstances. And then with this principle, we know that the atmosphere of our life is impacted by our thoughts. And so what God's trying to say is he's trying to say, do you want to deal with just the symptom or do you want to deal with the root cause? You think about a great doctor. You think about if you walked into a doctor's office and you said, hey, I'm not really feeling well. I don't feel 100%. I'm not really operating at my potential physically. And the doctor looked at you and went, well, um, let's just, um, you know, let's not properly diagnose you today. Let's not really get to the root cause of what is actually going on. What's the real reason for what's really going on? Let's just throw some aspirin at you and I'll get you to sign off on that and, uh, you know, you can pay your bill on the way out and, you know, let's just band-aid it and let's just fix it in a temporary way and that way we're just ticking the box and we're just superficially committed to the whole process. Who here would go back to that doctor? Come on now, who here would go back to that doctor? No, why? He doesn't care. Awesome. Let's give Deb some love. Three, two, one. Awesome. Good answer, Deb. He doesn't care. So if God who we know eternally loves us, really cares, who knows that if he truly is invested in our transformation, if he's truly invested in taking our vessel, our mind, our will, our emotions, our physical body, and he wants to be able to to help us to maximize potential, to take the potential out of his creation, to make it perform at its peak level, whether it be mentally, spiritually, emotionally, he's going to have a vested interest in diagnosing and working with you properly to prescribe the right solution that won't just deal with the symptoms. Come on now, just the banding aid, the things that appear that are the issue, but actually they're not really the issue. There's actually a much deeper root cause issue. Who knows that God wants to deal with the root cause? Come on now. But who knows that sometimes it's easier just to pop in some aspirin? Who knows that? And so what we want to do here is we want to understand that 
as men and women of God, as effective, victorious Christians, it's important for us to go on this journey of understanding, rather than us focusing on reaching out to God just to fix our circumstances or situations, that we would really need to look at the root cause of what takes place sometimes that's frustrating in our life. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. Remember we talked about true north, what the Bible says about situations. Whatever is true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, what does the word meditate mean? It means this, continued, habitual, focused thinking. Oh, I want to break out on song, but I'll hold myself back today. I want to turn that into a jingle. (laughs) Do it. Oh, now I'm feeling the pressure. (laughs) I'll add some extra words in there. Consistent, persistent, habitual thinking about a focused area. And so really what this scripture is saying is that if we have habitual, come on now, consistent, ongoing thoughts, thinking, And then emotions and feelings about stuff that isn't true, isn't noble, isn't just, isn't pure, aren't things that are really lovely, things that aren't really of a good report, more of a negative report, negative, don't really have any virtue, not really praiseworthy, always critique worthy, if we focus consistently, habitually on thinking and meditating and thinking and thinking and maybe talking and thinking and talking and thinking and thinking and thinking and analyzing and thinking and thinking and thinking on the things that are opposite to this, God says that that's the root cause. That's the root cause of why there'll be toxicity going on in our circumstances and environment. Now, we know that not everything, you know, some things happen out of our control, and so we know that there's a circle of influence and there's a circle of control. I'm not talking about the things that are out of our control because we don't want to worry about those things. Praise God, that's why we have to give some things to God. Who knows that? But what I'm talking about here is that there are some things in our circle of influence which is our thought life, what we choose to think on. And so it's important here to acknowledge that there is a direct benefit that comes from taking responsibility of renewing your mind, keeping your thoughts in check, and making sure that if we're going to think on things consistently, you may have an odd thought come here or there. The reality is we're human beings, right? So we should give ourselves permission, do you think, to be human beings? Is there anyone here who's a robot? Because, you know, it's funny. We talk about renewing the mind as like reprogramming your mind, but no one here is a robot. See, you can't just switch on in the morning and go, I must think everything today habitually. That is pure, praiseworthy. 
I must not have any thoughts contrary, then I will be on the journey of transformation. Everyone say boring. Right? Boring. God knows us. He knows that he didn't make us like that. Right? We have a free will. Right? We're imperfect. We have this thing called a filter. There's going to be some stuff that comes in. You're going to get annoyed. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get disappointed. There's all the stuff that can come. And so we can have certain thoughts. But this is the key. God's saying, let's really get our hand around, get a good grasp on the root cause of why a lot of times there are things that go on in our world that we do have an influence over, that in partnership with him, if we really look at this whole principle of renewing the mind, we would see more evidence of transformation in our life and in the life around us. Who here wants less toxicity and more fresh water in your life? Spiritually, I'm talking, right? And the interesting thing, you've probably seen this analogy on social media, which talks about uh, the principle of, I suppose, sin. But there's this great analogy sometimes that's in video where to actually make that clean, what you have to do is get enough of this and just keep pouring it in. Because the principle is to actually turn that toxic glass, catch this now, it's going back to the same principle of displacement. Everyone say displacement. What the Bible's trying to get you to catch today, I think what the Holy Spirit's trying to get you to catch today, wherever you're at in life, is that how do I get the toxicity out of my thoughts? I have to displace it with pure thinking, with the Word of God. And so I have to pour... First of all, I have to acknowledge the toxic thinking to be able to aim the Word of God in the right place because there might be another glass that's empty and you're pouring in the wrong place, right? So it's, 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 it's identifying that and pouring the Word of God in because if we were able to have a live image there and the water, the glass of water that's clear was represented by a tap, and we turned on the tap, the running, living water that we referred to in worship this morning, The principle of God here is saying true practically is that that glass that currently has a toxicity skull on it would actually become pure water like the glass on the right if the pure water was able to flow in like a tap endlessly. Eventually, that toxicity would completely go. It's the law of displacement. And that's a key to transforming your mind or transformation through the renewing of your mind. And so who here is hungry to understand if we really want more uh, fresh water in our lives spiritually, that we've got to actually take responsibility to identify the toxicity and be willing to displace it with the right thinking and do it in terms of meditation, focused, consistent thinking, like that tap being turned on. It's constantly running. And if we commit to it, because it takes time, church, it's not going to be a one-day fix or a three-month fix. It's, it's a constant process as you're alive on planet Earth where God's saying in a fresh way, hey, I want you to commit to this journey of renewing your mind because I want you to experience transformation. I want you to see your creation, your mind, your physicality, your uh, soul, your your emotions. I want it to come to its place of potential. I want to see your life coming to its place of potential. Is there anyone here hungry for that? So that's the key. The key is to understand 
that this is a principle that you can get your hand around, and it's not just a Band-Aid, it's not just aspirin, it is dealing with the root cause of how we can take the Bible, how we can take our relationship with God, we can apply it and actually have a real transformation result. And so we're talking here about the battle of the mind. The battle of the mind. Here we've got a picture of scales, you know. It's like a seesaw. There's a battle that that wages here. And, (coughs) excuse me, I want to go through some of these thoughts here. I've got them on the slide. If you want to take photos of these and you can study them later or write some notes, go for it. But it says here, I've kind of put all my thoughts here on the slide. The mind constantly debates. Everyone say debates. So we're going to shift a little bit more to this, this principle of sin. Because sin, there's all different forms of sin, but really sin is acting on a choice that's not in alignment with the Word of God. And there's consequences to sin. It can impact our life, or it does impact our life. But we know that by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus, there is a solution that's dealt with the root cause. But God also wants us to keep renewing our minds so we have a greater ability not to make the, right cho- not to make the wrong choices, but start to more consistently make the right choices. And so it says here, the mind constantly debates whether to sin or not. Interesting. Sometimes, I want you to think about this. I want you to look at the screen, listen to me reading this out, and I want you to think about not the person behind you, not the person beside you, but you. Let's apply this to ourselves individually. Is that cool? Sometimes you're conscious of that battle and other things, other times you're not. The reason why people can be ineffective in life and actually fail at life is because they've never learned how to fight the battle of the mind. Usually temptation, everyone say temptation. Do we just say the word temptation? (laughs) An unpopular topic these days. Like it doesn't exist. (laughs) It exists. Who knows that? Right? Who here is a parent? Of young children. Who knows that you do not have to take them to school to teach them how to be tempted? Come on now. (laughs) Whenever we talk to Zara about treats, little treat, she's always kind of negotiating on how many treats she can have. She's a good negotiator too. Usually temptation occurs in stages. Beginning with desire... And once a person analyzes whether to give into their temptation, notice it says analyzes, like the scales, debates. Should I, shouldn't I? Should I, shouldn't I? Should I, shouldn't I? They also begin to doubt if God finds their temptation or their follow-through of temptation sinful. So they're thinking, well, should I, shouldn't I? Should I, shouldn't I? Should I? If if I do, well... Does God really care about that? So what we're doing here is we're talking about the specific debate, the specific battle that goes on in our private worlds. We're shedding some light on this. Eventually, an individual can give in as soon as they are deceived by their mind. That's where spiritual warfare kicks in, referring to the the breaking down of strongholds or lies the enemy wants an individual to believe. Now, this particular here, this teaching comes from uh, a teaching series from a pastor in the U.S. which talks about various ways to overcome temptation. And I want to refer to 
the last particular line here. Well, actually, this, the second last paragraph. Eventually, an individual can give in as soon as they are deceived by their mind. That is where spiritual warfare kicks in, referring to the breaking down of strongholds or lies the enemy wants an individual to believe. Bring your mind into submission, take it captive, and bring it into obedience. Take it captive, bring it into obedience. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about this. A lot of the times, let's just shed the light on this. When you have something that you're tempted and there's this scale or this battle that goes in your mind, it could be anything. It could be you might be tempted to make the wrong decision at work. You know, might be tempted to make the wrong decision at home. You might be tempted to make the wrong decision relationally. You might be tempted to make the wrong decision physically. You might be tempted to make the wrong decision financially. You might be tempted to make the wrong decision in terms of talking about someone negatively behind their back. It could be anything. There's all forms of temptation to make the wrong choice. So what we're doing here is I wanted to make sure that we didn't just talk about changing our thinking, but we talked about the relationship between renewing the mind also will help you to start to make more of the consistent right choices. Can I unlock something here today? I've shared quite consistently over the last couple of months that I've noticed different people when they respond to messages, they've come down the front and there's been a battle. Some people crying out, I can't do this. As in, I don't feel like I can break through in the things of God. And I want to shed light on the practicality here of we've got to understand what is it? Come on now. What is the key to really helping men and women of God to walk more in victory? Is there anyone here who's passionate about seeing people shifting from defeat into victory? And that's what I'm talking about. And so the key here is that there's our thinking, and our thinking that's habitual leads to certain choices. And what we're saying here is that when we're tempted to make the wrong choice, it comes down to a war between what do we believe? Do we actually believe that this choice is really the right choice because God's going to bless me? Or do we actually believe a lie to think that God doesn't really care or there's not really going to be a consequence to it? See, right there, as as non-interesting or exciting as that may sound, that there is the key to being able to, if you can win that battle, majority of the time in your mind on a day-to-day focus, you will start to step more into victory. I talk about this all the time. Sarah and I, you know, sometimes around and talk about, before I even started dating Sarah, when I came into things of Christianity, I had to come out of seasons of, you know, making wrong choices sexually. And I know that God gave me a strategy where Queen Street Mall, who has ever walked down Queen Street Mall? Oh, some of you have now woken up. Oh, he's talking about something sexually. Ooh. Oh, this is exciting now. <laughs> and I remember walking down Queen Street Mall. I was a fairly new Christian. And this very attractive, I wasn't dating Sarah. I was single. And this very attractive woman walks down Queen Street Mall, and on that day in Queen Street Mall, God said this, we're going to have a life lesson together. And I said, what's this? And he said, just listen to me. And I said, okay. And so this very attractive woman walks down Queen Street Mall, and 
as sometimes you're tempted to do, men. (laughs) And then God said this, now we're going to play a game. I said, what's that? He said, you're going to walk up and down this mall and any female that you find attractive, you can look in terms of acknowledge that they're a beautiful creation and then you look back and you're not allowed to do a second take. Okay. God says, I'm training you on something. I said, what's that? Because every time you acknowledge my beautiful creation, you're going to want to look back. And when you look back, that's when you start to want to do something else with your imagination. Is anyone else hearing me here? Right. And so there was something on that day where God taught me. And then I spoke spoke to my mentor about... um, you know, we used to talk about this strategy of don't do the second take. The second take is looking again, right? What I'm doing here is I'm talking about a, a very specific example around the battle of the mind. And so bringing your mind to submission, take it captive and bring it into obedience. It's a powerful, habitual process that you have to be willing to work on to be able to get more and more victory. In your life. Is anyone here catching something today? All right. The battle of the mind. Let's now look at 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 6. We've talked a little bit about this. For the weapons of warfare are not physical or carnal, but they're mighty in God. His word of the pulling down and destruction of strongholds and refuting every argument, theory, reasoning, and every proud and lofty thought that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ being in readiness to punish every disobedience when your own submission and obedience are fully secured and complete. So the analogy of the don't doing the second take is about coming up with a strategy of how do I take a particular tempting thought to convince myself that the second take, the second view, is okay with God because it's not okay with God based on his principles, right? Who believes that? Who knows that? Right? So it's training yourself to identify what, see, see, I could have convinced myself that the second take is okay. That's fine. And so it's this war between do I really believe what the truth says or do I believe what I want to believe to justify what I want to do? And everyone say this for me. Everyone say precise. precise. See, sometimes if you're really hungry to get victory in your thought life, you have to really become precise in diagnosing the areas of your thought life that really you're struggling in the battle. And it will be different for all of you. We will all have different areas where the battle in our thought life is more of a struggle than in other areas. So what's important is, rather than just glazing over this whole topic, because it may be a little bit kind of, you know, precise, rather than just going, hey, God, can I just pop some aspirin in? It's about allowing you and God to really sit down and diagnose what are the areas in your thought life where the battle of the scales is a struggle. And why is it a struggle? It's a struggle because in that moment of temptation, when you want to think that thing or do that thing, 
there is a war that's going on where you are fighting to really believe, does the word of God, what it say, is that true? Or is it just what I feel to do? Is that more what I believe is the thing that's right? And it's that specific. And so we want to now look at some keys. We've got an image here of five keys. I want to finish this uh, series with five keys. Just again, these five keys are about bringing more awareness around the reality of this battle and also about understanding how we can position ourselves to be better in winning the battle. Is that okay? All right, so let's have a look at the first key. The first key is all behavior is based on a belief. That's the first key. When we understand that all our behavior is based on a belief, that when we have certain behavior that we would like to stop doing or certain behavior we'd like to start doing, we can't see our, uh, uh, the, the strategy like a band-aid and just say, well, I just need to start doing it or I just need to stop doing it. Who knows that that's going to lead to ultimate failure? Come on now, who knows that? Come on now, speak back to me. You know, I used to smoke a cigarette, a pack of cigarettes a day. Now, if you smoke here, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to bless you with this story, amen? Because I want to let you know that if you're a smoker today and you've always wanted to quit, there is hope for you. I used to smoke a packet of cigarettes a day, and I used to love it. And then I became a Christian, and I got a sense that this is something that really I wasn't designed to do. This is something that really wasn't going to help me to reach my potential. And so I had a sense of desire to want to break through. But before that moment, I tried to stop quoting multiple, multiple times. And I kept telling myself, I just need to stop smoking. I just need to quit. I just need to stop putting that cigarette up to my mouth and lighting the lighter, and that'll happen. Who knows that that was not a successful strategy? What's interesting is before I really understood these principles, I said, God, I really need you to help me to quit smoking. And God orchestrated a season where certain principles like this, I was forced to kind of apply my life, and I didn't even realize what was going on. But God knew what he was doing. And uh, for those of you who've heard this story, I hope this blesses you hearing it again. For those of you hearing it for the first time, I hope this blesses you hearing it for the first time. The story goes that I was in acting school, and I had to do uh, some different theater or different projects to get credit points for my assignments. And uh, so in the Brisbane Arts Theatre in Petrie Terrace in the city, there was a community musical called Aladdin. Who here has ever seen the Disney musical Aladdin? And so I applied for an audition and I got the role of Jafar, which is the baddie, right? I got the role because of my ability to do an evil laugh. (laughs) If ever you wanted to do an evil laugh, you just put an M in the front, okay? There's a little bonus tip for you from today's message. I love the role. It was fun. What was interesting was of a cast of around 40 to 45 people, uh, 20 of them were youngish children from the ages of, say, 7 up to the ages of, say, 14. So almost half the cast were children uh, because it was a pantomime and that's normal. But of a whole cast of 45, so I'm just giving some context here, 20 were children, so you would not expect any of those children to be smoking, right? Which is a good thing. None of them did. But of the other 25 that were full-grown adults, 
I was the only person in the entire cast who smoked, which actually was unusual for some type of an acting thing, right? And I'd been, a, I think, a Christian for maybe seven, eight months, and I was just like wanting to quit smoking. Anyway, rehearsals started leading up to the obvious performance time around, around this time of year, starting in early December. So the rehearsal period went for six weeks, and it was six days a week for six weeks, right? You only had one day to rest, and it was intense, and so we'd start around 8 o'clock. We'd finish around 8 p.m. That was the rehearsal, usually a 12-hour rehearsal period with, a, with, with breaks, lunch breaks, breaks here, breaks there. And as the only smoker, obviously, during the break, I would always go out for my ciggy break. And I'd come back, and obviously, uh, as you do when you smoke a cigarette, I smelt like cigarette smoke. And I remember after every break, for six days a week, for six weeks, I would come back from the rehearsal break, I'd get on the stage, and I'd have those 20 children, bless them, saying this in front of the other 24 adults and the director. Oh, you stink. Oh, you smell like smoke. Mr. Volcano. Jafar, you stink. And sometimes they'd mix Jafar with, oh, Brand, how many cigarettes did you smoke? Did you smoke three? Because it really stinks this time. <laughs> We'd have multiple rehearsal breaks over the 12 hours, six days a week for six weeks. So what happened was, by the time we got to actual, you know, wanting to do the shows, something had shifted and that is this. It wasn't about me just wanting to stop a certain behavior. My thought life had changed. Why? Because by constantly being bombarded with these innocent children <laughs> over a long period of time, something in my identity had shifted. See, what you may not realize is up until then, this was the key. I still saw myself as a smoker who was just trying to not smoke. What happened with those four circumstances is I now had something shift in my identity which led to a change in the consistency of what I was thinking. And now I was starting to thinking, I'm not a smoker. I don't want to be a smoker. This is not who I am. I don't want to do this anymore. This is not ever what I plan to do. Why am I smoking and these are the thoughts that started to dominate my, my headspace. These are the things that started to met, I started to meditate on. Not, oh, I really want to have a cigarette, but I, I just should stop smoking. To, I'm not a smoker. Why am I smoking? This is not who I am. This is not what I'm designed to be. This is not my potential. And because of that change in thinking, when I actually changed the thinking and then went to change the behavior... I had a massive breakthrough. In fact, on December 31st, 1999, I decided to have my last cigarette. I was still in production because it went into January. And I've never, ever, ever smoked a cigarette since. And I want to shed some light on this. What was the key? Was the key that an angel from heaven came down and went, 
I remove the addiction from you right now. No. Now, can that happen? I believe so. But for me, the key was looking at the principle of your thought life is a big, big reason for the choices and the behaviors that happen within our lives. And when we can get to the root cause and we can work with God to adjust that, then the behaviors and the transformation takes place. Come on now. Let's give, let's give God some praise for just this revelation. All behavior is based on a belief. If you cheat and lie, it's because you believe that disobeying God, this, you know, doing it this way, will cause less pain than being honest. It's a lie, but you believe it. Eating the forbidden fruit did not bring them blessings. It's a lie, but Adam and Eve believed it in the book of Genesis. When somebody comes to you and says, I'm leaving my husband, I'm going to go and marry this other man because I believe God wants me to be happy. They just told you the belief behind their behavior. It's wrong, but they believe it. Now, these are some challenging things on this slide. But a lot of times the reality is we will try to justify something because it feels right. But the reality is we have to actually know what do we believe. Next one is behind every sin is a lie, I believe. It starts with the mind. At the moment you sin, you're doing what you think is best is the best thing for you. You say, I know God says to do that, but I'm going to do this instead. So what are you doing? You believe a lie. So usually when you make the wrong choice, it's because you believe, you believe a lie about that thing. See, I believed that I was a smoker. And that's why things weren't changing. And I knew that eventually as this process took place, that there was a change in my thought life. There had to be a change in my thoughts. There had to be a change in my belief for the behavior to change. So start looking for the lies behind why people act the way they do or why you act the way you, you do today. To diagnose, to really have an impact rather than just throwing yourself some aspirin. Give yourself permission. Have a level of bravery and boldness to, to, to hang out with God, to look at what the Word says and to be able to diagnose. And you know, there's something powerful in being able to self-evaluate and actually not have to rely always on someone outside of yourself to partner with God to bring breakthrough to your life. We know that ministers in our lives are here to support and encourage, but sometimes God wants to say, hey, how about you and I get and hang out together and we look at the Word and we can help you to identify things and you can self-correct and, and self-motivate yourself to, to change behavior, to be able to create a new course or an outlook on your life to start to bring breakthrough. Who knows that breakthrough is not just, just going to come because someone else is praying for you? Come on now, who knows that? Who knows that real breakthrough is about what God does inside of you? And who knows that you have to give yourself permission to invite God in, not just to invite God to give you goosebumps during worship, but to invite God and his word in to those certain situations in your life where you know he's encouraging you to change. <clears throat> Sometimes, you know, we make these wrong choices because we believe that it's good for us even if it's a sin to God. When you live in sin, you're living in deception and believing a lie. When we confront these lies, we start to deal with these things, and then you'll start to see change. With going, without going too specific, I remember there was a certain thing that I was continually doing when I gave my heart to God, and I knew what the Scripture said about it, and I really knew in my heart I should probably make that change, but I wanted to justify why I could continue doing it. And I've kind of shared this story before, but... 
I went to my mentor and I, I was really wanting my mentor to say, you know what? It's okay. You can, you can keep making that choice, even though the Word of God says that it's not going to be fruitful for you and that it's actually a sin and it's going to hinder you. And I went to my mentor and I'm like, I need to run something past you. I know I've just been a Christian for six months and, and I know the Word of God says this, but there's something here that I, you know, I'm, I'm doing and I want to keep doing it. And can I just ask you this? Do I really... Do I really have to stop doing this? Is this really a sin? Is this really something that's not going to be fruitful for my life? And can I tell you that every fiber of my being wanted that mentor to say, you know what? I know the Bible says that, but at the end of the day, you can keep doing that. I'm sure that's going to be totally fine. But no, he didn't say that. He said, yeah, no, you need to stop doing that. It's not right. It's not of God. And it's going to hinder you. It's not going to be fruitful. And uh, you need to, to talk to God about it because I think he's going to back up what I say. But you need to go and have that conversation with God. So then I had the conversation with God. And guess what God said? He said, it's time. Because that's not who you are spoke to my identity. That's not who you are. And I want you to move away from that because that's always going to lock you in and limit you. God even said this, I've already set you free from that, but you have to believe that that's not for you to give you the ability to make the choice to not continue with that behavior. Can I tell you that was one of the biggest breakthroughs in my life. And yet there was no big conference that I went to. There was no big encounter service and all those things are great. Bless them. I believe in all those things. But it was actually an individual, specific, diagnostic conversation with God with a bit of support of a mentor to help me to have a breakthrough on the inside that very few people knew about. But it launched me. It catapulted me into a season where my life started to break out into so many wonderful things. Number three, change always starts in the mind. Hopefully we're getting this. So you get, so you, you've got to start with the mind. This is the main point, right? What I'm trying to do, hopefully we're getting there, is to, to shake, to sort, to shift, and to help people to realize that you will continually be frustrated and disappointed if you think that real godly change in your life is going to happen with just the superficial stuff that sometimes we, we think that's all it takes. It's about our thought life. You've got to start with the belief, the lie behind the behavior. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The way you think determines the way you feel and the way you feel determines the way you act. If you want to change the way you act, you must determine the way you think. You can't start with the action You've got to start with a thought. Who believes that? Number four, trying to change your behavior without a change in your belief is, here we go, exclamation mark, a waste of time. This is the big exclamation mark of today's message. Because I want to bring some truth to why do we get frustrated when we just superficially try to deal with stuff and wonder why things aren't actually changing? 
I think it's ultimately because of what's on the screen at the moment. If you ask a person to change before his or her mind is renewed, it won't work. He's got to internalize God's word first. Uh, When I first became a Christian, uh, a lot of people in the church that I was planted in, they're amazed that I, I, I was having such a transformation because I was so broken and bruised. I was addicted to drugs. I was a slave to so many things. I was at such a level of brokenness before I gave my life to Christ. When I came in and and people saw the transformation and they could see over a period of 18 months or two years, this massive turnaround. And I had a lot of people who'd been in church for years come to me and say, you know what? I want to ask you, what's, what's the biggest reason? What's the biggest key for how God's just moving in your life? So amazingly. And all of them admitted that they thought, everyone say thought, they thought the biggest key was the power of God, the anointing, the Holy Spirit, the miracle working, the presence of God. Who knows that we love all those things? But they assumed that they, those were all the keys. Now, they were somewhat the key, but the, the question was, what was the number one key? This was my answer. My answer was this. The main thing, the number one reason why my life is turning around is because God has told me that if I don't change this, things won't ultimately change. And I know that whole, you know, and I even said in the Bible, it says, renew the mind leads to transformation. I've been taking the word of God and I've been sowing the word of God into my mind and I've been displacing these thoughts about myself and these things about my identity. And I have been workshopping with God. I've been spending time praying the word of God into my mind, speaking it over my life, writing it down, memorizing it. I have been workshopping to get God to reprogram how I think. I said, that's the number one, the number one, the number one reason for why my life has turned around. It didn't surprise people, but most people said, you know what? I wouldn't have said that that would be it. I said, I would have thought it would be the Holy Spirit encounter. It would be the presence of God, the power of God. Do you know that people can be dramatically touched by the presence of God? And yet they can get back in their car, they can drive home and still be thinking the stinking thoughts they thought 12 hours ago that keep them making the stinking choices that they keep making and wondering why something never really shifts in their life but yet they've had the most powerful encounter of God. Don't let me, don't think that I'm watering down or saying that an encounter with God cannot be life-changing. It can be life-changing. But can I tell you, if we do this thing called walking with God to come into our ultimate transformation, we cannot do it, church, without the key of renewing our mind. Occupy your mind with the truth. Occupy it. Allow the truth of God, allow God's word to take occupation of your mind. To enter into take territory, to not just squat temporarily, but to take root in your mind. Or the enemy will fill it with lies. Don't leave it unoccupied. Your belief patterns are in your mind. Every time you think about a belief, it creates an electrical impulse across your brain. This is based on science, and we know that God created us 
So it's aligned. Every time you have that thought again, it creates a deeper rut. Over time, a mindset is formed. When people have learned something over and over, meditating over and over, being taught by the world's way of thinking, they're programmed to go that way. If we want to change that and align it back to God's truth permanently, we have to do it the New Testament way. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the constant feeding of the truth of God's word in your mind. Everyone say this, God's word must occupy my mind. Occupy. You don't have to keep repeating that, I'm just re-emphasizing it. (laughs) To take occupation, to occupy, to dominate, to dominate the position. It's it's taking territory, it's it's taking root, it's taking grasp, It's, it's... uh, majority of the time in your mind, it has to occupy in alignment to God's word. This is, it, it's like you, we have to be deliberate with this. You have to take time to do this. This is a, you know, a discipline like working out physically. You have to make time to do this. Number five, the Bible called this change of mind repentance. I'm going to ask the music team to come. I'm going to have the whole team come today. Thank you. <clears throat> the word repentance in Greek, metanoia, means to change your mind. Everyone say to change your mind. It is just changing, it is just changing the way we think about something by accepting the way God thinks about it. The contemporary phrase for repentance is paradigm shift. So technically, repentance is not behavioral change. The change is a result of repentance. Repentance actually means to change your thinking. Repentance does not mean forsaking your sin. Repentance simply means to change your mind that leads to the change of behavior. The prodigal son had a change of mind. Only then did we see a change in his behavior. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, 6, 3, 8, sorry, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Oh, you catching this this morning. I think a lot of us think the word repentance means to change our behavior. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. No, the word repentance actually means to change your thinking so that your behavior can change. Oh, were you catching this today, church? My heart is pounding with a sense of urgency, really desperately, in all honesty, asking you, reaching out to your soul and asking you this, are you really getting this? It's one of the biggest keys that we can miss. The Word of God is saying that when you repent, You're not leading with the principle of just changing your behavior because God knows if you try to change your behavior without changing your thinking, that's the root cause of your behavior. Guess what? You're not going to change your behavior. You're just going to be a frustrated Christian who's trying so hard but is never quite ever seeing the permanent result. Repentance means to change your thinking. To change your thinking. Let's look at this last slide. So we're just going to finish with a worship song. We'll go with a praise song. 
This last slide, I want you to write this down as the formula. I want to have fun with this. GE plus HH plus T equals SG. I've turned it, I've called it get, as in G E double H T, get. <laughs> what are we talking about here? You've got to get going if you want spiritual growth. The holy habits is the renewing your mind. Everyone say holy habits. Renewing your mind, thinking and being deliberate, thinking the word of God. That's holy habits. But who knows we need to be encouraged to do this. We have to get around other believers and have other people cheering us on and encouraging us, particularly if we have a bad day, a bad week or a bad month. Who here needs encouragement? Come on now. Only three of you. I know I need encouragement every single day. We need encouragement from God. We need encouragement from other people around us to cheer us on and say, hey, you know, you're on a journey. Keep going. Be a go-getter. Go get them. Get. Godly encouragement and holy habits plus time. This won't happen over three hours. This won't happen over a day. This will take a season, but you'll see the spiritual growth, and then it'll take another season. Spiritual growth comes from godly encouragement plus holy habits. Renewing the mind will bring transformation over time. What we call... The get formula. So this is what I want us to do. I want you to make a note of that. We're going to pray and then we're going to finish this teaching series by praising God.